Good afternoon. My name is Chris, and it's good to have all of you here today. And uh, man, Christmas is almost here. Uh, yesterday, my wife and I, we decided to do a very, very wise thing. We decided to take the kids uh, to go shopping on a Saturday. And uh, it was crazy out there. It's why I personally wait until Christmas Eve to do shopping, because people are usually doing Christmas Eve things on Christmas Eve. But uh, hopefully uh, you're getting your shopping done, you're getting uh, ready for Christmas, and uh, your, your season isn't uh, too chaotic. Today, we, uh, we bring uh, our series, Hope Rising, kind of to uh, an end. And we've been going through the last few weeks, uh, kind of a, as our foundational verse, uh, verses, Romans chapter 15, verse 12 and 13. And uh, so I, I want to read those because what Paul's going to do today, Paul's a, he's the author of this book called Romans. It's actually a letter written to a church located in the city of Rome. He's going to kind of bring this thought to a, kind of a, a, a close, an ending thought in a very unique way. So we started off looking at verses 12 and 13, and um, he writes this. He says, and, and again, Isaiah says, one of uh, Paul's uh, favorite books in the Bible to quote from is the book of Isaiah. And so he's going to go back to Isaiah, and he says this, that the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, in him, the Gentiles, or all the people, will have hope. And then he adds this thought onto it. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, Hey, this prophecy of the coming Messiah, the root of Jesse, in him, in Jesus Christ, you can hope. And when you put your hope in him, his peace and his joy will fill you to the point where you will overflow. So today, he brings this to a unique end. Probably in a way that that usually we don't expect it. But he wants to drive something home. And so what I'm going to ask for you is this. As, as I read Paul's words today, he's going to kind of personalize it. He's going to talk about himself. Just try to put yourself into his shoes. Just for these few moments. As if you were saying these words about yourself. As if you were kind of sitting there sharing with some friends these words. Because it's so easy for us to separate out the Bible from our personal lives. But try just to put yourself in, into it. So in verse 20, Paul says this, it has always been my, okay, again, put yourself there, it has always been my ambition. That word ambition is a powerful word. Paul was saying, it is a th- this, this thing that I'm going to share with you is the thing that drives him. It's a thing that consumes his mind. It's a thing that gets him up in the morning and, and helps guide him throughout his entire day. And when he goes to, to bed at night, it's what's going through his mind. It's the thing that he's passionate about. It's the thing that where he's going to leverage his leadership to the greatest degree possible. It is kind of the compass that guides his life. It's his ambition. And this is what it is. It has been, has always been my ambition to preach. 
Now that word right there, if you're really kind of putting yourself into Paul's shoes, you're thinking to yourself, nope, not me. I'm not going to preach. Chris, that's your thing. You do the preaching thing. I'm just going to sit here. Right? One of the greatest uh, 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 fears to all mankind is public speaking. Plus, you might be thinking to yourself, well, Chris, even if I was comfortable to be in front of people to preach, I, I don't know if I know enough about this, or what if uh, there's something I'm not sure about, or what if I have questions myself, or what if someone doesn't uh, listen to me in the right way? That word preach has so many words attached to it and so many thoughts attached to it. So what's Paul really trying to get at? Well, here's another word, because if you take the word preach and you kind of translate it back to its original form, there's another way to say this, but I promise you, this, this isn't going to help any of us out. We could say it this way, it is my ambition to evangelize. Oh, I'm not sure, but to me, when I hear that word evangelize, you know what I think about? TV evangelists with a lot of makeup and perfect hair. All they want is my money to rip me off. When I think of the word evangelize or evangelist, it's that person, you know, in Times Square and they're just screaming over the crowds, telling them where to go or that they might be going there. I was 22 and, uh, I just moved to Vegas, and a whole group of college young adults, they were like, hey, let's go to Southern California. I'm like, right on. I want to see the Hollywood sign, right? The Hollywood sign. So we went down there, and we went to Hollywood, and it just, it, it did not meet my expectations at all. The Hollywood sign is small, and it needs a, uh, a good coat of paint, and it's kind of sideways, and then we walk down where all the stars, I don't know if you've been down there, but where the stars are, like the Hollywood Walk of Fame, whatever it's called, uh, you're going to get mugged if you're not careful. It's just a horrible place of California. And so we kind of did that thing, and we, we, we all were like, oh, let's get out of here. And so we made our way to Santa Monica, which just is a great place in Southern California. And there's this area of Santa Monica called the Third Street Promenade. And uh, it's this area uh, of Santa Monica where they have all these artists and uh, performances and painters and you name it. They're, they all kind of gathered in this one street and you can just walk up and down it and just, it's a cool kind of artist area. And so as we made our way to Third Street Promenade, we heard uh, these people kind of shouting, which kind of uh, got our attention. And so we made our way, kind of turned the corner, and, and there were this group of uh, 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 Bible college students all just screaming at people, saying, repent, listen to the good news, you're going to hell. I'm like, good news in hell, wow, this feels horrible. And uh, we're standing there, and this is my first thought. I really, really do not like Bible college students. And I went to Bible college, and I'm just looking at these, these, these men and women, and I'm like, do you realize what you're doing? I mean, they have all these tracks, and they're trying to shove tracks in people's faces, and they gather this crowd, but it's this real adversarial crowd, and they're going at it, and someone would scream something out loud, and they would scream out louder, and they're going back and forth, and you're in that space going, I just don't want to be a part of that. And right next to them, there was this like little tent. 
and there's a big word that said psychic on it. And we're like, well, we'd rather go talk with a psychic than those Bible college kids. So we made our way to the psychic, and we went in, we kind of sat down, and we had no idea what we were going to get into. But the thing we missed on the sign, the one thing, it's a very important thing that we missed on the sign, was it wasn't that this, this, this old lady who was sitting there, and I think she had been sitting there for decades. I don't think, uh, we didn't realize that, that she wasn't the psychic. You see, right underneath the word psychic, there was a second word, cat. <laughs> right next to her was this big, white, fluffy cat. And she goes, my cat's here to tell your future. And we're like, the cat? I would love to get inside a cat's mind. That would be fascinating. And so for the next few moments, we sat there, there and had this amazing conversation with this lady. I mean, genuine. Her spirit was so connecting, so accepting, so loving. And while we sat there, we could hear these Christians scream at people. Man, that word evangelist, I don't think that helps at all. So I sat there and I thought to myself, well, what? What's a word that really gets to Paul's heart in this culture, in this context, today, 2012? What's that word that really kind of sums up? Because preach has all different types of emotions and feelings attached to it. Evangelist, same thing. So what's a word that, that captures what he was trying to share with us? I think this is the word. It's the word Share. Let me read this to you, inserting this word share. It has always been my ambition to share the gospel, to share. The word share has this connotation that that you're sitting with someone. That there's either a, a, a relationship or the goal is to form a relationship. The word share uh, says to me that, that the desire is to have a conversation where two people talk or three people talk or four people talk. Ideas are given and receive. Sharing has this heart of compassion and love and grace. Not this idea that you're going to shove your, thro- or your thoughts down someone's throat where you're going to impose your will on them? No, sharing is about coming together, not repelling. And we follow Paul's life throughout the New Testament. And I think the word share in our culture today is the best word that describes Paul. He would go into cities. He would go into foreign cultures He would go into different contexts and his goal was just to meet people and sit down with them and have a conversation. But he did have a purpose. Remember, his ambition, his life's mission, he was laser-focused. wasn't just to share anything. It was to share something very specifically and that's the gospel or the good news, the good news about Jesus Christ. 
because he knew firsthand how Jesus has the potential to change lives. And he wanted everyone to know about it. But what he says next, I believe is the most uh, driving uh, piece to his ambition. It's the thing that kept him going. It's the thing that drove him into cities where people didn't accept, accept him, but yet he wanted to remain, to build relationships, to share. It's at the heart of his ambition. See, he goes on, he says, to share, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. You see, for Paul, it wasn't just about going anywhere. It was going to very specific places where people hadn't heard about Jesus, where people didn't have the opportunity to ask questions about this man named Jesus, where people who are wrestling through through their spiritual questions can maybe find someone to, to either answer those questions or maybe just appoint them in the right direction. You see, Paul's ambition was about going to those places that hadn't heard. To the point where we get to verse 22, he apologizes to the Christians, to the church in Rome. He's like, I would love to be there, but if I'm going to choose where I'm going to allocate my time, where I'm going to allocate my passion, my ambition, where I'm going to leverage myself the most, you've heard about Jesus in Rome. There's other places that haven't. I'd love to come see you, but I still have places to go in which they haven't heard. I get asked often, especially since this has been newer since I moved here, and I'm sure over a period of time that this is going to kind of go away, but I often get asked this question, why did you move to New Jersey? It's always an interesting way how people put it, and I I never know. You know, which way they're coming from. I'm like, is this a good why did you move to New Jersey? Or are you just really confounded at this point? Like, why did you come? And I always give two responses, depending on who I'm talking to. I mean, for that person that I have no clue who they are or, or kind of what their, their kind of church background is or kind of where they are in their spiritual walk, I kind of, you know, I, I give the simple answer. Well, I, I moved to Jersey because the weather is just amazing, so I've heard. But that response usually gets the conversation going. They're like, what, here, Jersey, wow. But for the people who may be part of Renaissance or part of another church, or I kind of get a sensing that they're on a spiritual journey. I always go back to, I'm here, not because I wanted to leave Vegas, not because I wanted to leave the church that we're a part of, But when God started moving within me to say, it's time to go, I had one request for him. I wanted to go to the part of the country that needed to hear about Jesus the most. And when God connected our hearts with Renaissance Church, and I share about the beginning of Renaissance a lot because it's important for us to realize the purpose that God has laid upon this church 
And the purpose of this church is to reach out into culture and to be a light in a dark world, to share Christ with people that haven't heard. And that's why I'm in New Jersey. That's why we're here. God said, here you go. Here's a church that wants all people to hear about the good news. See, what I know in this room today, many, many of you came into Renaissance for the very first time, maybe having zero relationship with Christ, or maybe you came in here after being away from the church for a long period of time, coming in here, being really frustrated with religion, and through a friend or through some set of circumstances, you heard about this church that was different than any other church around. This church that plays rock and roll music. This church that, that actually has great music. This church that is really engaging. This church where you can eat a bagel in church. This church that's just different. And that got you up all those flights of stairs to experience something different. And over time, your hangups with religion decreased. And your relationship with Christ increased. That's why you're still here today. Some of you, it's a step one in your spiritual journey. You're sitting here for the very first time today, and you're not sure why you're here. Someone forced you to come. Someone dragged you here. Um, You just found yourself walking up the stairs. You're like, I'm not even sure why I'm here. You see, Renaissance is about sharing the good news with people. It's about being a light in a dark world. You see, Paul goes on, because he doesn't stop there. He goes on, verse 21, he says, rather as it is written. So he's going back to his favorite book again, the book of Isaiah. And so he's going to quote from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15. Last week, we spent all of our time in the last three verses of Isaiah 52 into Isaiah 53. So he's going back into Isaiah 52, and this is what he, he quotes. Those who are not told about him will see... And those who have not heard will understand. And to give some context to those words, let me read for you Isaiah 52, verse 13. It's where we started last week. Isaiah says, See my servant, and servant means Jesus Christ. It's the prophecy of of Christ coming, the Messiah coming. See my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many people who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human uh, being, and his form marked beyond human likeness. You see, that's a prophecy of, of, uh, of Christ's crucifixion. And I kind of put myself in Isaiah's kind of, uh, in his shoes for that moment, as God's laying upon his heart, his tongue, these words. And I wonder if Isaiah really even knew what he was saying. He just knew God was telling him to say these words. And I wonder emotionally what was going on with Isaiah as he was talking about that he was, his form was marred, disfigured. If he realized this servant, this Messiah, what he was going to go through on the cross. And he says, so he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. See, 
Paul understood that his hope the peace and joy that, that can only come from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul understood that he was called, his ambition was to share the good news with all people. Why? Because it had changed his life. Radically changed his life. See, in this season, this is what I know. People are the most receptive to any type of spiritual conversation at Christmas time and at Easter. If they're going to be, those are the two most opportune moments to share, not to evangelize and not to preach, but to share the good news, to share hope. I got a text message from my wife this morning. She was, uh, she was upstairs and I was downstairs. Technology, it's great. And uh, she texted me this link to this blog post. And uh, I sat there and, and read it and it, it captured my heart. And uh, I almost didn't put it in my message this weekend because what I don't want to do in this moment is I don't want to manipulate Emotions. I don't want to leverage emotions from what we have experienced over the last couple of days. I really don't. But the words are so fitting. Not only for what we've experienced the last few days, not just for this Christmas season that we find ourselves in, but it really gets to the heart of Romans 15, verse 13. For the God of hope will give you peace and joy for those of you who trust in him. And that hope will overflow. It will touch those people's lives that you touch. And so in that spirit, I want to read this and share these thoughts with you. It's from a, a, a great Christian author. His name is Max Lucado. And he posted this on his blog after the shootings. And it's a letter that he wrote between himself and Jesus. He said, Dear Jesus, it's a good thing that you were born at night. This world sure seems dark. I have a good eye for silver linings but they seem dimmer lately. These killings, Lord, these children's, children, Lord, innocence violated, raw evil demonstrated. The whole world seems on edge, trigger happy, ticked off. We hear threats of chemical weapons and nuclear bombs. Are we one button push away from annihilation? Your world seems a bit darker this Christmas. But you were born in the dark, right? You came at night. The shepherds were night shift workers. The wise men followed a star. Your first cries were heard in the shadows. To see your face, Mary and Joseph needed a candle flame. It was dark. Dark with Herod's jealousy. Dark with Roman oppression. Dark with poverty. 
dark with violence. Herod went on a rampage, killing babies. Joseph took you and your mom into Egypt. You were an immigrant before you were, you were a Nazarene. Oh, Lord Jesus, you entered the world, the dark world of your day. Won't you enter ours? We are weary of bloodshed. We, like the wise men, are looking for a star. We, like the shepherds, are kneeling at a manger. This Christmas, we ask you, heal us, help us, be born anew in us. You see, as we move into this next week, as your life intersects with the lives around you, my prayer is this, that it will be your ambition to share the good news of Jesus. Not in a divisive way, but in a way that extends love and grace and compassion. As you jump into your world tomorrow and you walk in and out of conversations, my prayer is that that you will share hope with people because hope within you is overflowing. I pray that you won't leverage your position, your agenda, I even pray that you don't try to answer the why question. What I pray that you'll do is share hope with people. Because God wants to use all of us. All of us. To be a light in this world. Because in the dark of night, Jesus gave his son. to illuminate the darkness. You see, that's why we hope. And that's why we can, in moments of intense sorrow, intense grief, intense why, we can build our foundation on Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone. Who will help us be strong? And God wants to use you and what he's doing within you to be a light in this world and to share hope with people that maybe are feeling hopeless. So we worship this baby boy coming to this world to be the Savior of this very dark, dark world.